0: Hi there, and welcome back to Wait a Week Mystery. This is your host and author, J.C. Bodden. If you've been with me this far, you know that this is from my novel, Someone to Watch Over Me, which is available in Kindle and paperback format from Amazon. I'm not going to make you wait any longer today. Let's go on with Episode 117, Someone to Watch Over Me, Chapter 17, Action, Jenny's Story. I had trouble studying after Wagner left. The books of mugshots sat accusingly on the coffee table, but I was loath to look through them. I tried television, but that couldn't calm me. I restlessly paced back and forth, picking things up and putting them back down, impatient with everything. All I could think about was Amy Patterson, the girl from the attack, and her picture in the paper. I was itching to do something, anything. I replayed the attack, wondering over and over if someone had attacked Amy because they mistook her for me. Finally, it occurred to me, I would go to the hospital and see Amy in person, maybe even get a chance to talk to her, see what she thought about all this. Relieved that I had a plan, I grabbed my keys and cell phone and left the dorm in a hurry, before I could change my mind. At the hospital, though, I had second thoughts. I didn't really know her. I wasn't sure she would want to see me. Maybe I would be an all-too-painful reminder of the attack. I was sitting in my car in the parking lot, debating the wisdom of going in, when someone knocked on my driver's side window. I jumped before I realized it was Travis. "'Hey!' he leaned toward me as I lowered the window. "'I thought that was you. What are you doing here? Is everything okay?' "'Hey, Travis. Everything's fine. I thought that I would come see Amy, you know, from the other night. But then when I got here, it seemed kind of silly.' So I was just sitting here, feeling kind of stupid. Are you working? No, I just got off my shift. My girlfriend's a nurse here. We eat dinner together when she works the evening shift. I fumbled with my keys. Oh, well, don't let me keep you. I think it's great that you've come to see Amy. Come on, I'll walk you up. Travis opened the car door. Now I had to follow through, regardless of my cold feet. At the door to Amy's room, Travis tapped softly before poking his head in and leaving me standing behind him in the hall. Hey, Amy, remember me? It's Travis, he said gently. I couldn't hear in response, but he pushed the door open and I could see her on the bed. I brought someone to see you. This is Jenny. He held the door so I could come into the room. Hey, Amy, I said. Hey. She was tiny, dwarfed by the bed and the machinery around her beeping and winking in the small room. There was a sharp intake of breath, and I saw a woman, her hand over her mouth, and eyes wide in surprise, seated in a low chair on the other side of the bed. "'This is my mom,' Amy said, twitching her arm in the woman's direction. "'Hello,' Travis and I spoke in unison. Amy continued the introductions. Her voice sounded like she hadn't used it much lately. "'Travis was my paramedic, and Jenny... Jenny was the one who, um called 911 the other night travis finished helpfully oh thank you amy struggled to sit her mother rising to help her she turned to look at her a frown crossing her face what is it mom oh nothing amy dear i i just don't want you to overdo that's all she patted her daughter's pillow distractedly and then tugged the blankets up around her her eyes never leaving my face a nurse bustled in carrying a tray Hello, she said with a brief nod. Time for your medication, Amy. I took that as my cue. There was no way I wanted to talk to Amy in front of her mother and the nurse. I'll go now. It was nice to meet you. I hope you're better soon. Thanks again, Amy said before taking her pill and a cup of water from the nurse. The door to the room opened as Travis and I were saying goodbye in the hallway, and Amy's mother stepped out. I just wanted to say thank you to both of you for saving my daughter's life. She shook Travis's hand and then grasped mine tightly, peering into my face. "'Sorry, dear,' she muttered, "'but it's amazing.' "'What's that, Mrs. Patterson?' Travis asked politely. She turned to Travis, a huge smile across her features. "'Don't you see it? She and Amy. Why, when she first came in the room, if I hadn't known better, I'd have thought it was Amy.' Joe's Story For the next six years he drifted from town to town, finding work whenever he ran out of money, sometimes in construction or on a farm, occasionally as a mechanic. He would rent a small room in a run-down hotel or boarding house. While he was open to new people and new experiences, he carefully avoided the road he had seen his mother take. He didn't drink or smoke. He stayed away from drugs and hookers. Throughout all this time, he faithfully wrote his weekly letters to his foster mother, although her letters to him sometimes got lost or took a while to catch up to him. She and Mickey were the only ones who knew or cared where he was and what he was doing. One morning, as he returned to his apartment after a long day of construction work, he surprised a drugged-up teenager who had broken in looking for cash. The boy swiped at him with a small knife, catching Joe just over the eyebrow as he jumped out of the way. The boy gasped in surprise that he had made contact, but Joe flew into a rage. With no concern at all for the knife, he jumped on the boy and began pummeling him. Years of hard labor had filled out Joe's frame, and the teenager was no match for the older, well-muscled man. The kid howled in pain and frustration, and soon Joe's neighbors in the small boarding house came to the boys' rescue. It took three men to pull Joe off. The police were called, the druggie arrested, and Joe taken to the hospital for 16 stitches and a tetanus shot. The next day, he left the apartment once again, with his meager belongings, some clothes, work boots, a tattered Gideon Bible, Tilly's letters, and pictures in the old shoebox, and headed to the bus station. He bought a bus ticket to Montgomery, and 36 hours later he walked up the long, curved driveway to the familiar house at Twin Oaks Farm. When his former foster father opened the door, he said simply, Can you help me find a job? That's the end of this week's chapter of Someone to Watch Over Me. Thanks so much for listening. To find out what happens next, please come back for the next episode of Weight a Week Mystery or visit jcbodden.com to order the book. Either way, I hope your wait is a happy one.